problem is, is hey grace point good thursday night hope you're all doing well uh, we're going to pick up in matthew where we left off matthew chapter 10 verse 34 father thank you for your word i pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him i pray for understanding in the scriptures lord open our eyes and ears to hear what the spirit would say to us tonight in jesus name amen all right, so Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. Think not that I am come to send peace on the earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I come to set a man at variance against his father, daughter against her mother, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's foes shall be those of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. Pretty powerful scriptures. Now, we were talking last week about uh, the grace to stand. We've been talking about persecution and we're really continuing on that theme. But Jesus uh, makes an incredible statement. Now, how many of you, when you think of Jesus, you think of Jesus meek and mild, which we're going to get into in the next chapter. He does describe himself as meek and mild. And yet, he says here, I came not to bring, <coughs> excuse me, I came not to bring peace, on the earth, but a sword. Isn't that amazing? We always think of Jesus uh, being a peace and loving, which he is, but his message is, creates a dividing line. He says that he will separate mothers from fathers, you know, or uh, from kids, brothers and sisters, families, and people's foes will be those of their own household. Now, like I've been mentioning all along, Jesus is quoting the Old Testament. He is the Word of God, and He is one with the Word of God. And so He is constantly pulling out of the Old Testament and bringing it into the New Testament, and He's reinterpreting it. If you would go back to Micah chapter 7, verse 6, you would see this very Scripture right there. Jesus pulls it out of there, seemingly out of context, pulls it out, brings it into the gospel, and he quotes it. In Hebrews 7, it says, the volume of the book is written concerning me or about me. So this whole book, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, Jesus is really interpreting it through his messianic lens. What he's showing is, is that he is the Son of God, he is the Messiah, and these scriptures are about him. And he keeps doing it over and over. Now, if you don't know the Old Testament, you would see that scripture and you wouldn't think anything of it. You'd just think Jesus is just making a statement. Well, he's making a statement that's true, that he came to bring a sword. He's going to divide families. You know, some families will stay with the synagogue. They'll stay in Judaism. They'll stay in their religion. And other families are going to embrace Jesus as their Messiah. And obviously, that would create division. That would not bring peace in the family. If you go over to the uh, Oriental culture today, 
Jesus is still a dividing line. If a Muslim who Muslims come from, the Abrahamic religions, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity, those are the three Abrahamic religions, they come from that family. If you're a Muslim and you embrace Jesus as Lord, as Messiah, you will be ostracized from your family. In most places, they won't accept you. They'll kick you out. You, you'll be persecuted. You'll be disowned. And even worse, beaten, isolated, and they've even murdered at times in, in certain situations. So this is absolutely the truth. Jesus uh, did not come to bring peace and um, it's interesting, he says, on earth, but he came to bring a sword. He came to divide. You're going to be for Jesus, you're against him. So when he says that anybody that loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, what, what I've always taken this, I, I don't know if I preached on it yet or taught on it yet, but in one spot, Jesus says that you have to hate your mother and your father. Now, let me ask you, God is love and Jesus is God in the flesh. He's fully man, but he was divine from eternity past. What does Jesus mean when he tells them they have to hate their mother and father? Isn't that odd? We, th we think of Jesus a certain way. And he says here, if you love your father or mother more than me, you're not worthy of me. See, when I believe he's saying here, the same thing he's saying when he says you have to hate your mother and father, your mother and father represent how you come into this world. Your mother and father are going to teach you a set of values and beliefs and traditions. In this situation, Judaism. Uh, you know, back then around the, the whatever, 30 AD, about this time, 27 AD, in that time, uh, they're going to teach them a certain type of Judaism. And he's saying that you're going to have to reject what your mom and dad teach, what your synagogue professor, your rabbi teaches, if you're going to follow me, you have to hate the values, the teachings, the upbringing that you're receiving from your family to follow me. And that's what happened. Your mom and dad don't want to get kicked out of the synagogue. You're either going to choose mom and dad or you're going to choose Jesus. There's a philosopher, a German philosopher, Martin Heidegger, uh, back in the 1920s, uh, 30s, 40s. This guy talked about uh, uh, being, he wrote a book called Being in Time, and he talked about how we are born or we are thrown into a culture. We are thrown into a particular time. We are thrown into a particular family. When we're born, we don't choose what culture we live in, what language we're going to um, speak, what, uh, who our mom and dad are, whether we're going to have money. We're literally cast into a particular time period. Like, you know, if you're born in New York and you're Jewish in New York and say you're Yiddish, you're thrown, or maybe Orthodox, you're thrown into a particular culture. You're going to grow up Jewish. You're going to grow up with Jewish values. If you're in, uh, say, what, uh, what's that, Salt Lake City out in Utah, you're going to be thrown into a Mormon culture. You're going to be born into a Mormon culture. You're going to have certain beliefs because of it. If you're in New England, in Boston, and your parents are maybe college-educated, PhD, and they're atheists, and they have certain humanistic values, 
you're going to be born or thrown into that culture. So everything that you're born with that you accept, Jesus is saying that you have to, if you're going to truly follow him, you have to hate your mother and father. You have to hate the values that you're taught. It's not that you're literally hating your mom and dad. We know God is love. We're supposed to honor our mom and dad. But you have to be willing to walk away from that. And that, in a sense, is what Jesus meant by being childlike. You have to be, uh, to follow Christ, you have to be born again. And you have to become childlike and have beginner's eyes. You have to look at the world totally different now through the lens of Jesus Christ. When you do that, when you accept Christ, when you accept Jesus as Lord, he is saying there's going to be a price to pay. You're going to have to pick up your cross and follow after him. If you try to play it safe, listen to me, hear, hear me, and this is what a lot of us do. If you try to play it safe, kind of in the world, please mom and dad, please the culture, you know, get along to go along, you got to have that. He says, you're going to lose your life. But if you lose your life in this world, he says you're going to gain your life. Taking up your cross is that willingness to be rejected by the world, by your culture, by the uh, culture that you were thrown into when you were born. Obviously, if you're in a Mormon culture and you reject Mormonism and you embrace Christ, you're going to be rejected by that. If you're an Orthodox Jew, you're going to be rejected by that. If you're a Muslim and you start really following Christ, you're going to be rejected. And that is a part of taking up your cross. And there's even a, another sense or a higher sense of picking up your cross, your natural life. And this is what Jesus is talking about here. You have to deny your natural life, the life that you were born with, become born again, follow after your new nature, follow after Christ, and live a new life. It's powerful. And there's a price to pay. Now, he says, when you do this, you're going to be rewarded for it. Um, I don't know how many of you out there are still trying to hold on to your old life. You're playing that one foot in the world, one foot out. But I can tell you, following Jesus does not work that way. It's not a game. It's not a religion. You can't follow Jesus one day and not the next. Choose, I'll do this, but I won't do that. Following Jesus is going to cost you something. And I believe the Holy Spirit will make it clear to you <laughs> when there's a price to pay. I can't say that I've always followed Jesus perfectly, but I know there were times in my life where I had to make a decision whether I was going to please men, whether I was going to please my mom and dad, whether I was going to please my brothers and sisters, whether I was going to please my workmates, or whether I was going to follow and please Christ. Paul said, if I yet pleased men, I could not be the servant of Christ. Isn't that powerful? If I was a men-pleaser, I couldn't be a servant of Christ. I have to decide. Even as a pastor, I have to decide. You know, we love our people. We love people. But you have to decide, am I going to try to tickle people's ears, get people to like me, or am I just going to preach the truth? And I don't mean that in a haughty way or an arrogant way. Paul said he, taught, he preached the truth in love. 
but to preach the truth, you know, not trying to tickle people's ears, but to preach the truth. You have to make that decision up. You have to make that decision yourself. He or she that findeth her life shall lose it. Okay, then, then going on, I'm going to finish this section for tonight, then, then we'll move on next week into chapter 11. He said, he that receives you receives me, and he that receives me receives him that sent me. He that receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. He that receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever shall give a drink unto one of these little ones, a cup of cold water, in the name of a disciple, verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. I really like this because it's really going on with the same theme. He says, he that receiveth you receiveth me. And here the disciples or followers of Jesus really couldn't understand what he's talking about. But we know through Paul's teaching that when we accept Christ and we're born again, literally, not symbolically, not figuratively, but literally Christ lives in us. Galatians 2.20, Colossians 2.20, Romans 6.6. 6. Jesus, when we're born again, we become <clears throat> new creations. Christ now lives in us. So when someone receives you, they literally receive him. If you're a disciple of Christ, we are, as Christians, this is a powerful truth. We, we say things, we just pass right over them without understanding the power of them. We are the body of Christ. He's the head. He's the authority. He's the king. He's the Lord. But we are tied to him through spiritual baptism. We are in union with him. So we literally represent Christ on the earth. We are his hands and his feet. We're his mouthpiece. So if you receive us, a Christian, you receive him. So if there is a prophet prophesying in Jesus' name and you receive that prophet, you're going to receive that reward of a prophet. Or if a righteous man, a righteous man. If you even give a cup of water, if you feed or care for or clothe or give a cup of water to a disciple, one of these little ones, he says, you will in no wise lose your reward. And Jesus goes on to talk about this more in Matthew 25, so I won't cover it in depth here. Talks about how that you'll receive a reward. He says, because inasmuch as you did it unto them, you did it unto me. Isn't that powerful? Mother Teresa said, we meet God we meet Christ in many and various and surprising disguises every day. We meet Christ, literally meet Christ in various disguises every day. So how we treat others, particularly here disciples in Christ, is how we treat Christ. And if we treat Christ with love and respect, we're going to receive a reward. Okay, we'll wrap up right there. Pick up in chapter 11 next week.